Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast today i'd like to welcome you to a pretty amazing podcast episode with dr manjunath nandi krishnamurti who is a very humble man and a, a very generous spirit, a true yogi. And you will see he has the mind of an encyclopedia. In this episode, we cover everything from geriatrics and aging and talking about telomeres, talking about the ancient cave yogis, and and maybe even some modern cave yogis that are living over a hundred years and what they're hoping to find if they can go up into the caves and get to know them. We talk about the many, many universities that the barbarians basically took out and burned all the books between the 5th and 12th centuries and how that changed India and how there's now a revival to kind of find those teachings again, create universities around those same concepts, and even create architecture that is similar to what one would have seen between the 5th and 12th centuries. We talk about research and Antarctica, what is happening with the research they're doing in Antarctica, having the people who are living there do yoga and seeing how that affects their health. And then of course we get into Esviasa and all of the wonderful programs that they're developing as a yoga university from a bachelor's degree all the way to a PhD program. And I just think this is an amazing episode. It covers a lot of ground. To me, it felt like we were kind of merging the mystical parts of yoga with the biomedical research and saying that there's enough for all of it, that as Manjunath says towards the end, we need the best of India and the ancient teachings and the science of the West and the research and bringing those together. And I think he quoted Vivekananda when he was speaking of that. So 
I think you're going to find this episode to be very exciting and interesting and covering so many aspects of yoga and yoga therapy and bringing it together so that we can see that there is no separation. It truly is all about unity. Enjoy. I'm very pleased to welcome you to my colleague from India, Manjunath Nandi Krishnamurti. And I think we will begin with an opening blessing. Namaste to you, everyone. It's always a pleasure to get connected with everyone with yoga, which aims at uniting, bringing people together. And one particular specific chant I would like to start all the time is to do with Omkara. So we all can start today with the same. Relax yourself, close your eyes, adopt Namaskara Mudra if you wish to. Bring your palms together in front of your heart chakra. Take a deep breath. Inhale deeply. Exhale very comfortably, as deep as possible. Thank you very much. Thank you for centering us. And it's evening for you. It's very early in the morning for me. And I just want to start off and say thank you for coming. I know that it's not always easy to to meet in all of these different time zones, but I feel like your voice and your presence to help introduce our audience, which we have about 40,000 people listening now. So it's, it's a lot of people, and I think they need to know about what you are doing in terms of research with your team, but also Esviasa and how they are having such forward thinking about the education of yoga and yoga therapy. So I thought I'd just like to start on a personal level with you. 
Can you bring us all the way back to when you were a graduate student before yoga was popular, before anyone knew that yoga was going to have such a profound impact on the world? And you chose to study for your PhD in the field of yoga. Can you can you bring us back there and help us understand what gave you that foresight? Yeah, sure. It was a memorable journey for me. As you said, uh, I never thought that I'll become a professional yoga researcher, yoga therapy person, and yoga sadhak myself. Mm. I was also like anybody else, a normal human being who had an interest into science and art and sports and everything. But it all started when I was to choose an undergraduate program. In India, we have uh, multiple traditional systems of healing. One out of them is a naturopathy and yogic sciences. It's a five and a half year medical program. I truly had no idea what this course is going to be, what I'm going to learn and how it's going to impact my life. But today I can say all that, I mean, the turning point was joining for that course to begin with. For five and a half years, I had an opportunity to start practicing yoga, understanding yoga, learning about various principles and dimensions of yoga. But I was too young that time. I was probably doing it more for uh, my examinations and other things. Though I was just doing it, I was involved in experiencing them. But after that, it's when I joined this organization called Yasvyasa. It stands for Swami Vivekananda Yoga Anusandhan Samsthana. Anusandhan Samsthana in Sanskrit means research foundation. Mm. So I had no idea what a research is all about. But I had this inquisitiveness and had this greater inquiry in understanding deeper aspects of yoga with the scientific bent of mind. Because when we were doing yoga during that time, I had my own questions. When we say that hold your nose, inhale from one side, exhale from the other side, it's a common practice. Everyone talks about what we call as alternate nostril breathing. Similarly, you just close your ears, use a mudra, do some chanting, and do a pranayama called brahmari, etc. So I always used to wonder, why do I need to just shut all these things, do all these kind of things? If I just chant like this, is it going to impact the same way as I hold all these different things and similarly? So these kind of many questions and yoga therapy in particular, like when you give different yoga practices together, it can help in self-healing and also promote uh, rehabilitation. All these questions brought me to this institution and then I wanted to actually understand research and then do yoga research. So PhD was not at all the idea during that time. I just wanted to do research. So PhD became an incidental development as my career progressed at Espiasa. So there was no university offering a doctoral program in yoga during that time. I'm talking about 1983, 84 kind of it. So then we started exploring, okay, if we do research, and then we were told that you can systematically do it as a study, which can lead to a doctoral degree. 
then we approached few universities then that time we were not a university we were just a research foundation and then we got affiliation from few universities we started a doctoral program in these universities lots of questions were asked by these universities they were not able to understand what a yoga phd can be so when we went to one university they said oh you use lot of sanskrit in it right so you should go to a sanskrit department when we go to a sanskrit department they said that in yoga you do lots of physical postures and other things you fit into a physical education department not to sanskrit department and then when we said physical education department they said oh you do lot of research in it you should go to a science department so all these nice experiences were there and that made us learn and understand a lot where do we actually fit in yoga if we really want to do a doctoral program in 2002 there was an opportunity where our research foundation was converted into deemed to be university in india we have a different university system one can be a federal university another can be a state university mm. while private universities can under a federal regulation convert their institution into a university that's what is called as a deemed to be university so 2002 till 2006 that's when i was the first student of svyasa though i was working there to join as a doctoral student and i completed my doctoral work in 2006 and got my phd that was an amazing experience because when i was asked what should be the area which is of your choice you want to do a phd by my guide then samo i was always interested in gerontology okay geriatric medicine particularly looking at aging process how yoga can actually make the aging process slower and successful because we hear that even now there are so many yoga practitioners who are all in various places in himalayas okay and we hear the stories that they don't age there is somebody of 200 year old somebody of 400 year old so it's a curiosity like how you can actually stop this process and still remain healthy and alive so of course i still don't have an answer to it but that's the journey through which the whole life cycle took me from any normal student to a yoga researcher and then moving to very focused yoga therapy person because subsequently i wanted to apply it in clinical population so that's when the whole journey of yoga therapy started it was a wonderful successful experience as on today now whatever i have seen through the benefits of yoga there is so much to unpack there first of all i didn't know you were the first student to receive a doctorate wow that's just amazing i was fortunate uh, yeah. to be the first student <laughs> and to to follow that almost 30 years ago that they had this seed of an idea and then 20 years ago you graduate and now you're the pro vice chancellor of svsa and the director of research so i mean it's kind of an amazing story to to see the 30 year span from conception to full on programs now and i want to come back to the programs in a minute but i want to get back to geriatrics and aging first of all i've i've asked all my teachers in india this 
are there really yogis that are 120 plus years old living in caves in the Himalayas? Is that some of my teachers are saying, oh, well, that's kind of a myth. Other ones are saying, no, this really exists. What do you think? (laughs) Well, I did some research on it because there were many television channels who come to do some kind of a, a documentary based on yoga, yoga research, and they have visited our laboratory, be it Discovery, be it the National Geographic, etc. When some such documentary was going, I was spending a lot of time with the editorial team. So then they were asking me about a similar question that do you believe that yoga can slow down aging? Because when I was talking about my interest and aging, etc., Then the next question they asked was, can we do a kind of a documentary on really going and meeting such people, whether wherever they are, they are in Himalayan caves or in remote forests of any of the states, etc. So then we actually planned a program during that time called Unseen Yogis of India. Okay, so Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we didn't. We actually didn't do that, but we have, we made a script called Unseen Yogis of India. So those yogis who are not visible outside, but they are there and whatever it may be you want to pick from them, why can't we understand it? So then I, of course, contacted several people in Himalayan ranges in uh, various other institutions across India, etc., and I could somewhere get information about at least around eight to 10 people whose, of course, I'm not too sure about it, but people uh, reported that they were all probably above 150 years of age. Mm-hmm. So then I truly wanted to go interview them, meet them, discuss and try to learn something from them. Then there were challenges like, number one, they are not coming out. They are not meeting anyone. They have their own sadhana practices, etc. They're not interested in us. <laughs> yeah, they are not interested in us. We are interested in um, actually pulling them out, which uh, if anyone else would have done that, probably they were not in a position to continue their sadhana there. Mm-hmm. But I did get an access to around uh, two, three people. So they were connected with some very senior meditators. So they go and meet them once in a year kind of it. And then they said that, okay, this year we will check with them and you can also come with us and you can meet them kind of it. So unfortunately, this happened just before COVID pandemic. Mm. And I'm still looking forward that uh, now everything appears to be quite normal. And I'm hoping that I'll get an opportunity to meet such people. So the answer to your question, though it was a little longer, probably yes, uh, there are people. I don't know about 200, 400 years, but at least I heard that above 150 years, somebody is living. That's fantastic. There is a movie out there. I cannot remember the name right now, but I'll put it in the show notes that I have seen where they actually entered into the caves and, you know, tried to engage with with yogis. So I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. So one last question in this area, because I find it fascinating. What does the research on telomeres show about aging? Because I think that's remarkable research that's starting to happen. And maybe even describe what a telomere is to our audience. Yeah, this is one area where there is wonderful progress in understanding aging process. 
where the terminal part of a chromosome which has a portion which is like a tail like structure the whole process of cell division is somewhere connected with the length of this terminal portion of a chromosome mm. so now what happens there's also an enzyme which regulates its activity called telomerase so there's a lot of work which has already gone in there's a nobel prize given to scientists who have worked in this area elizabeth blackburn is very well known for her work on uh, telomeres what they identified was if for any reason if the length of the telomere starts reducing it can directly impact the whole process of cellular division as we know as we start aging two things happen so one is we start losing the capacity to replicate our cells okay so we always as we all experience a billion cells get destroyed every day a billion cells gets created every day so in this process there is a balance which is established because of this process wonderful process which is not just regulated by telomere and telomerase but also several other factors but primarily if you understand the importance of length of a telomere and the factors which can influence the shortening of telomere length one out of which is oxidative stress another of course several of them even simple mental stress uh, chronic stress can influence it various metabolic processes can significantly influence it that's why there is another concept uh, called calorie restriction so we talk a lot about calorie restriction if you reduce the calorie intake then probably you can influence the whole metabolic process and that can influence your telomere length and hence you can have a successful aging so there are multiple things which can influence the telomere length studies have demonstrated that the practicing yoga can have a significant influence on both one is telomerase activity and uh, second one is on telomere length we have done one study which was very interesting study done at antarctica so we all know that when scientists go to antarctica for uh, lots of expedition you face lots of challenges starting from social isolation then you are away from every societal impact and your own family colleagues etc there's a small group who have to stay in a small place small cabin for days and months okay and the environment outside is totally unpredictable you can see as you know you see sun hardly for 6 months over there dark remaining time and when you can see the sun you don't know when you have a storm when you have the cold wave hitting you so lots of challenges so the indian government they send we have from indian government there are two laboratories in antarctica so there is an winter expedition and there is a summer expedition so we had sent a scientist we have developed two yoga modules one for sea sickness because these scientists travel for one and a half month in the sea from cape town to antarctica and the second module was for antarctica stay 
So there were two things which we looked at because stress was one of the important aspects which we wanted to understand, physical as well as mental. We had two main questions. Number one is to do with your stress-related biomarkers, which includes various genes which just uh, gets expressed during a, a stressful uh, situation. Number two, also about aging process. Once again, which includes the understanding of telomere length and telomerase activity. The results were quite interesting. Of course, there was no doubt the group which was given yoga, there were around uh, 20 researchers who were there. They were given yoga. They demonstrated that uh, telomere length was protected. So there was no huge impact of stress, whether be it uh, physical or uh, mental stress on their telomere length. Very interesting fact was we were not keen to look at genes of particular interest related to stress. We said, let us study all the 30,000 genes. Okay. So we wanted to look at a global gene expression. We have a laboratory which, which we can do at SVASA itself. It was so interesting to say that in the group who are not given yoga, the gene expression was quite chaotic. Okay, so there was so many genes, some related to metabolism, some related to oxidative stress, some related to their cognitive imbalance. There were multiple genes which were expressed. But when you look at the group which practiced yoga, it was more a harmonized, like they were probably every cell was connected with yoga and there was a balance, there was a harmony. And there was a pattern, wonderful pattern, which you can see, which otherwise nobody has done so far, like looking at a global gene expression like that. And one particular interesting fact was there is a gene called carotene gene. So this carotene gene was supposed to be forgotten for a few thousand years because when man was an ape man, so we knew that you were in forest, you were in snow, you were everywhere, and you never had a air-conditioned room. You never knew what is going to happen to you. Body had that mechanism of protecting you. So the keratin gene is something which is connected with your hair and skin growth. So the increased expression of this keratin gene was an indication that body understands what is needed to you and then it actually expresses through a particular pathway. In this case, a keratin gene pathway, because of which probably your body starts becoming much rough, much stronger, which was very much evident through this study. So having said that, aging is one such area where there is enough evidence today to demonstrate that, yes, it is possible to work through not just one mechanism, but through several other mechanisms. Yoga is a very useful tool. Whether we want or not, you get certain benefits. You do yoga for managing your diabetes or a hypertension. Subsequently, you are also influencing your aging process. And Manjunath, when you speak of aging, are you speaking of the actual length of our life or the quality of our life or both? Both. Mm. It includes both the length of our life as well as quality of life. We have many scientific studies done on understanding the quality of life. 
So it can be in healthy individuals or in uh, patients suffering from multiple health conditions. So in both cases, we have evidence to suggest that it can significantly improve the quality of life. It can be at a physical level. It can be at a mental level. It can also be at repairing you or any kind of eventualities. COVID was one such time where yoga has done so much of good to people. We had done a couple of studies during COVID also, which showed that quality of life can certainly be improved because a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, issues to do with losing near and dear ones and Mm -hmm. facing all kinds of unknown consequences. So in all the cases, certainly a kind of preparation, yoga prepares an individual, not just at the physical level, but at the mental level, which is more important. And it takes an individual through a spiritual journey. That's where there's a transformation which happens. And certainly the length of uh, normal living can also be increased because of several mechanisms which we were discussing. I believe that I've fared very well in COVID because of my regular yoga practice. And it When you said that the, I wrote it down here, the global gene expression kind of becomes more organized and less chaotic. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel before yoga practice, after yoga practice. It feels like the chaos comes into some kind of rhythm that makes sense mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. No, you are right. Because we always say that yoga, the main purpose of yoga, if anybody asks me, I would always say is re-establishing homeostasis. Mm-hmm. That's what happens without our knowledge. Okay. Yeah. And second thing is yoga actually triggers like that uh, carotene gene or whatever it is. When you practice yoga, it triggers a process called conscious intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are all running away today with artificial intelligence and making gadgets understand us, etc. But when you do yoga, there is something called conscious intelligence in you. And that makes your body realize what is needed for you, which systems to network better, which systems to inhibit. Like when we do meditation, our brain realigns in such a way that the neural networking happens in a way to facilitate the process of what I am doing rather than what brain wants to be engaged with. So the same thing happens where an activation should be, where the inhibition should be. So the opposite, like I always tell people, when you do meditation, what happens? Global inhibition. So your brain, lots of those switches across the brain, those are switched off. That's the important activity what meditation does. Because when you look at lots of functional MRI studies to other things, all are interested to look at where is that activation? How many different areas of the brain are active? But I'm more interested in looking at how many areas are shut off because that's where the information processing and taking the information from your brainstem and that relay center, hypothalamic areas, and then the association cortices, how they all work together to give you that meditation experience. It's very easy to say that I had a wonderful meditation experience, but lots of it is happening in your brain. I love that, that instead of using the brain MRIs to look at what's active, 
rather look at what's kind of turning off. That's fascinating. So let's let's switch gears a little bit here because you know you becoming the first graduate of of the Sviasa doctoral program. Twenty years later, you're the research director and the pro vice chancellor, which is essentially a vice president of a university here in the United States and maybe in in Europe. So my understanding, and I hope this isn't too delicate to talk about, but my understanding is that there in between the fifth and 12th centuries were such amazing universities in India that had departments of mathematics, medicine, politics, warfare, music, religion, philosophy, architecture. These were magnificent universities that basically were taken out by a variety of different civilizations, but people like the Huns. And so can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I think that ties into what you all are doing now is you're, you're bringing back that glory. Very true. Probably we have missed a lot of that knowledge base, educational system, methodologies, and processes from maybe 5th to 12th centuries, whatever you have mentioned, is very true. We had such universities, so some of them, like uh, we hear about few names like Nalanda University, Takshashila University, etc. And uh, you'll be happy to hear that once again, those names were given and government of India is trying to take this whole journey back to those times. And there is a university of Nalanda today. They are trying to go back to understand, including how a university system was, how the buildings were, what you mean by a library during that time. Because I had heard the stories that it took a few months for whoever invaded during that time. I think it took a few months to burn the libraries. Okay, those manuscripts, which were all written on palm leaves to other things, they took a few months. So that means that the richness of knowledge during that time was too huge. Keeping those principles and guidelines in mind, even attempts are being made present day, like our university for that matter, Yasvyasa, we have not developed it like a health university or a yoga philosophy-based university. We have developed it with five divisions in mind so that we can cater to various dimensions like yoga and spirituality is one division, yoga and life sciences, yoga and physical sciences, yoga and management studies, and yoga and humanities. So probably this is the direction what those great universities had given us. And within each division, we have multiple departments. That time language was given very prime importance, linguistics and language. Sanskrit was one of those languages which was believed to be the not just the language, but it had uh, all the answers in it, the language itself. So we have under humanities, we have linguistics, we have arts and sports and several other things. It actually helps us to unravel those wonderful dimensions described during that time. People always quote uh, certain things like the whole idea of making an aircraft was known to Indian scientists during that time. 
So they talk about something called Pushpaka Vimana. So Pushpaka Vimana is something which people used to move from one place to another place. And there was various aspects of mechanism, how it works was probably given during that time. And there is a Vimana Shastra, aeronautics, which was written during that time. There was astronomy and astrology, which were described very much well as an advanced science during that time. Because much before even uh, the modern scientists could bring in this understanding that it's not earth which is revolving, it is not sun which is revolving the earth, but it is the earth which is revolving the sun. So heliocentric process was so well designed. And the months and days and years were calculated so precisely based on several of these aspects. So probably we had such great knowledge base. Some things have been carried forward. Ayurveda is one of those traditional medical sciences. In one of the areas, states in India called Tamil Nadu, we have one more traditional system of healing called Siddha medicine. Mm -hmm. So an accomplished person is called as a Siddha in a different way. But in Tamil Nadu, those were the people, not just they were experts in medicine, they were also experts in yoga, they were experts in martial arts, they were experts in many other things. So there were also very well-documented proofs to suggest that the whole traditional medicine from India has traveled to China. So there's an individual they recognize very strongly in China as well in uh, Korea, South Korea, that Bodhidharma is his name who has traveled from a part of India. And he is the one who gave those martial arts and traditional medicine and spiritual meditation and yoga related practices to some of these countries. So there is so much to take from those ancient universities. Attempts are being made, including our university, to revive those processes and also to bring in that knowledge base as much as possible, though there are limitations. Wow, that was an amazing summary. And just to be clear, are you suggesting that traditional Chinese medicine is kind of maybe came from India originally or just parts of the Indian medical system may have gone? Possible that part of it has evolved from Indian knowledge base because certainly wherever there is an evolutionary process going on, these things emerge on its own. Not necessarily everything has gone from India. So as we know, be it Aboriginal medicine, Native American medicine to several other things, wherever there is an evolution, people find out locally whatever is available to heal and treat themselves. So I'm sure there must be an existing individual who actually went to China with this knowledge base. So certainly possible. Yeah. To me, it seems so enormous and such a huge undertaking. I'm going to pull something up on the screen just so everyone can see the Svyasa website. So it's www.svyasa.edu.in for India. Tell us about the conception of this and the programs and courses. I see that we have the yoga instructor course, the yoga therapy courses, yoga and 
Vedic therapy, master's degrees, PhDs, postgraduate diplomas in, in yoga therapy. Tell us about this vision that you all are undertaking. Yeah, the person who is on the screen, you can see here is the founder. His name is Dr. H.R. Nagendra, who comes from an engineering background. He has done master's and a PhD in mechanical engineering from a renowned engineering institute in Bengaluru called Indian Institute of Science. And immediately after that, he went to University of British Columbia to do his postdoctoral. And then he was at uh, NASA in US. He worked at NASA, he worked at Harvard, he worked at Imperial College in London. And then he decided to move back to India very quickly. And he joined an organization in tip of India called Kanyakumari, the southernmost tip of India. So this is in Tamil Nadu. We're a voluntary organization who are involved in multiple programs, including rural development, education, healthcare, etc. He joined there as a life worker just to serve society. It's in 1973-74. So he started thinking that, yes, we really need to do something for our traditional systems, which includes yoga. His sister is Dr. R. Nagaratna, who is a medical graduate who has done MBBS, MD, FRCP from UK. So she is the one you can see here. So she also joined him. And then both of them initiated this, uh, started or founded this organization called Vivekananda Yoga Research Foundation, Vyasa. It took around seven, six, seven years for them to bring out one best research publication, which was in British Medical Journal on the role of yoga in managing bronchial asthma. So that time, nobody had thought that any yoga therapy-based publication can be brought out in a journal like British Medical Journal. So that has led to the whole range of establishing a yoga therapy hospital. We don't call it as a hospital. We call it as an Arogya Dhamma. Mm. Arogya Dhamma stands for health home. And we don't call people, those who come there as patients, we call them as participants. So sadhakas are participants, those who come to help themselves with various techniques. So that's when this institution started getting some recognitions. So one from government of India as a scientific and industrial research organization. So you don't generally hope or assume that a yoga institution can get a scientific and industrial research organization, yeah. but that happened in 1988. And in 92 to 95, as I mentioned earlier, this institution thought that we have to initiate lots of educational programs. That's when a small sister concern institution was started called Indian Yoga Institution. So that started with a one-month certificate program, yoga therapy, six-month training program, etc. But these were all from the institution, not affiliated to any university. But subsequently, when doctoral programs were started and we became a university ourselves in 2002, then this whole idea of having five divisions and under each division, we thought we should offer multiple programs, starting from a simple certificate program, which can be from a one month period to a six month period, 
and you have a undergraduate program called bachelor of science we have multiple programs under bachelor of science in yoga and consciousness yoga therapy and of course we are also introducing yoga education then there is masters pg program in yoga therapy yoga and consciousness and of course we have introduced a new program in vedic technology to understand various yoga based interventions used in vedic period and we also have programs like uh, masters in business administration you may be surprised to see why svyasa is running a business administration program but once again as i said looking back to our ancient universities the idea was to bring in those principles of business administration from ancient indian times you might have gone through several ancient yoga texts like bhagavad gita and you have few things called the artha shastra of kautilya so artha shastra talks all about economics so there were great lessons available from in these ancient texts so we wanted to really bring those concepts and aspects to our business management course and of course we have a doctoral program in yoga it's not limited to any one discipline of yoga somebody can work on life sciences somebody in taking studies into spirituality or uh, humanities its applications into sports and various other fields so put together at svyasa we offer uh, both residential as well as online based education but we have made it a point that people whichever program they take they come to the campus for a fixed duration to maintain that kind of guru shishya kind of a heritage a teacher student not just meeting online but physically meeting and discussing so that happens in every semester for every course and people come whether from wherever they are in the world they visit the campus and they participate in a 10 day intensive whether it is a therapy program etc we also believe in giving our students a hands on training so we have our arogya dama which is a health home hospital there our students get to interact with patients and try giving yoga therapy learn from their mistakes whatever happens and of course there are supervisors there are other people who can guide them so it's a wonderful experience for our students we have close to around 2000 students residing in the campus in bangalore and we have little more than 3000 students who are doing the programs online which is in the open and digital form i am also happy to mention here that though svyasa has the speciality that we have started a full fledged yoga university in india apart from the bihar school of yoga the bihar school of yoga actually in a way the credit has to be given to that organization they were the ones to convert their institution into a university in the country for several reasons they have withdrawn subsequently but svyasa continue to be an exclusive yoga university in india and similarly outside india we also have the distinction of starting the first ever full fledged yoga university in america which is based in california of course based in la los angeles and we just completed the first masters program convocation this june so it was a wonderful experience to have 
the first batch of postgraduate students graduating during june so it's been a wonderful experience because people ask the question what is there to study for years in yoga so they understand that yoga can be studied this is the convocation i was talking about this is a very specially designed dress code uh, which was used during the convocation because there are couple of things what you see as a headgear that's something very special taken from a place in karnataka here in south of india that is called as a peta of mysore you might have heard about a place called mysore from where the greatest of yoga masters have come you have heard about patabi joyes and several others and we wanted to bring that tradition that what great yoga masters used to follow that as part of this convocation and also we had a ceremony where we give kind of oath we do the oath taking which is given by a teacher to a student what has been very well known in upanishads particularly one upanishad which talks about this process of how you take a student after their education and what kind of directions you give them in taitriya upanishad mm-hmm. so we tried ourselves bringing those ancient concepts and of course combine it with the modern concepts that's what uh, swami vivekananda on whose inspiration this whole university has been built in he said that bring the best of the east with the best of the west then you have the wonderful outcome so we always believe that there's a lot of knowledge base in the east and scientific research in the west and there is no better way than bringing both of them together understand this knowledge base using modern scientific research there can be limitations doesn't matter but that's the way to move forward that's what swami vivekananda said and our university follows you know one of the times i was visiting chennai india vivekananda has a museum there that shows him coming for the first time talking in the chicago fair and it's just amazing that in i think that was in the 1950s that he had that visionary foresight to come and and tell scientists and researchers and anyone who would listen really spiritual aspirants about what was happening in india i mean that's amazing and of course we have this wonderful book called autobiography of a yogi right so so wonderful i mean uh, i have read it a couple of times but each time when you read it gives you a new message because it all depends on how you understand certain things and it's an amazing book for all yoga sadhaks all those who want to really understand and learn yoga certainly paramams yoganand yoganandha who has been a real role model for bringing these concepts into your day to day living arabindo another greatest personality and in recent times of course bk sayangar who actually brought in lots of modern understanding to yoga including yoga therapy when people have difficulties in actually doing certain practices why can't you use some props why can't you facilitate them to actually understand and do them and gradually you withdraw them it's a wonderful idea with which bk sayangar ji has introduced this whole process 
And I love even today, this year, one of my doctoral student who is doing PhD under me has worked on the concepts of BK's Iyengar, that is biomechanics and yoga asanas. So how do you understand, how do you do this pose estimation and pose correction using technology and the importance of alignment in a yoga posture when you do different yoga postures? So these are the wonderful messages given to us by great yoga masters. And I always remember, particularly BK Sayangaji, he has received a honorary doctor of science from Svyasa University. So he was there. He had visited several times to Svyasa University. So after receiving his uh, Doctor of Science, he was talking to the audience. Then he said that what is very important in yoga, he asked. Some said asanas, postures, some said breathing, some said meditation, some said relaxation. Then he said most important is yamas and niyamas. So... Mm those observances and those which you need to actually avoid. Then he said that emas and niyamas are not those two subtle aspects which you think in your life. But when you do a posture, you have to bring in emas and niyamas there, he said. So then we, it was a new thought, new thinking. And he said, you be a good judge for yourself. Are you doing ahimsa or ahimsa with your body? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So then bringing the concept of Santosha in the final posture, are you contented? Are you happy? So do you want to get back to your initial pose or you want to remain there for longer and longer time? So it's really amazing. We can learn from all these great teachers who have given us these lessons. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. So I, I think we're getting close to the end, but I would just love to hear your definition of yoga versus yoga therapy, or maybe yoga therapy as a subset of yoga. So many people want this information that how is it that yoga and yoga therapy are different, or maybe how are they similar? Well, I would look at yoga therapy as an application of yoga. Okay, so certainly the definition of yoga holds good for both the conditions. What I always look at yoga as a self-discipline which helps you to evolve in all possible dimensions. So because we always talk about physical, then mental and spiritual planes. But there are so many other areas which probably we, may, we might neglect. So it has to be a process of self-evolution. Mm -hmm. So yoga is that tool which facilitates a self-evolution in an individual. These are all different tools, what you use, be it asana, be it a pranayama, meditation, etc. But I always believe when you talk of yoga therapy, yoga has to be much more bigger than what we talk of the bahiranga yoga, Okay, the external aspect of yoga, which includes asana, pranayama, etc., up to dharana, etc. But in my view, Yoga has to be something which brings in a change at your lifestyle. Okay, so yoga has to be something which you can adopt into your day-to-day -day life. So it includes the way you adopt yourself to manage your diet, to manage your habits, to manage your thinking, also to create the goals in your life. So to do everything, you need one inner voice. 
and yoga is that inner voice which makes you realize that and it helps you at different stages of your life to bring in that notional correction that self evolution is what i call it as the major process what yoga provides you beautiful is there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to get across today or do you feel complete well it was so wonderful sharing from my heart whatever i felt and i experienced as yoga for these many years more and more we start unraveling ourselves more and more we feel that we are incomplete okay mm-hmm. so probably i wanted to just give this one small tip to people who would like to practice yoga who would like to follow the path of yoga that whichever reason for whatever purpose you have come to yoga don't worry about it but once you are in yoga once you follow the discipline of yoga make it as your life goal okay mm-hmm. so then probably it's going to open up those doors and windows which we are never opened ourselves i had this experience myself i have seen several occasions whether being handling my own son who is like anybody else a teenage boy what all can he experience in his life to my family to my good colleagues to all other individuals with whom i come across and it's been a wonderful experience it's not such a simple thing to say that we have these five layers okay that physical body energy body then there is mental sheet then there is intellectual sheet and there is a blissful sheet i think each one of us should make an attempt to experience it and it is not a difficulty to experience because in some way we will have this experience an individual who crosses you when you are just sitting in a beach closing your eyes just relaxing eyes closed you can feel whether there is a positive energy flowing or a negative energy flowing next to you and yoga can make you emit that positive energy and more and more people with this positive energy are going around in the society we create a healthy society and mm-hmm. uh, i always remember the study done by maharshi mahesh yogi long back few decades back that when hundreds of meditators sitting in a place and doing meditation the crime rate in one particular state where they have conducted the study have been observed to come down significantly really don't know what all those benefits we can derive from and this is the time to move from grosser to subtle and yoga is a wonderful tool which can facilitate and help us to do that so with this message i wanted to thank you Amy so wonderful knowing you spending time wherever we had opportunity to meet be it in japan or any other place and of course interacting with you it's been so refreshing and enjoyable process for me thank you thank you i'd like to thank dr manjunath nandi krishnamurthy for being with us today you may not know how high level he is in india he really comes across as such a genuine authentic kind person and yet he is really changing what is happening in india in the field of yoga and yoga therapy of course with dr nagendra and 
Dr. Nagendra's sister. There's a kind of a team of them, along with Shirley Tellis and, and some others that are really pushing this forward, this research agenda. So I learned so many new things today. This is one of the reasons I love to do this podcast. I need to go look up Elizabeth Blackburn, who's doing the research on telomeres and caloric restriction. I love what Manjunath said about conscious intelligence and how that's basically what we are developing when we are doing yoga. And I took a lot of notes while he was talking, things that I want to go and study. And I hope that's really what this podcast does, is it kind of lights you up from the inside out and helps you to become curious again and, and go do the the study on the invasions that happened in India between the 5th and 12th century. Go look at the beautiful structures that are going to probably be reemerging. Go and look at Swami Vivekananda Svyasa University and look at all their programs and the 3,000 plus students that they are developing right now. Go look into this idea of there was a, an actual man who brought many of the teachings of yoga and, and medicine from India to China and to South Korea. I don't know about you, but these kinds of ideas really help me see how small I am in this universe and irrelevant, but also I'm so grateful for this point in time where we can get online and Google these things and find out about all of the interesting things that Dr. Manjana talked about today. I think it's fascinating. It makes me feel small and big all at the same time that we can continue to study for a lifetime in the field of yoga and yoga therapy. And then lastly, I just want to reinforce what he said at the end, that yoga therapy is one of the applications of yoga. He said, yoga is about self-discipline and self-evolution in all the different areas of our life, evolving physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, evolving as a society. It's really beautiful to me to think that by doing our practice every day and living our yoga, we are not only individually evolving and transforming, but as he said at the very end, meditating together, bringing our consciousness together, we can actually have a powerful impact on the entire world and humanity. So I'm very thankful that we got the chance to talk to Manjunath today, he's a very, very, very busy and, as I said, high-profile person in India, and I don't take for granted for even one minute the time that he spent with us to help us understand the bigger picture of how yoga and yoga therapy are unfolding in India, which, of course, is the birthplace of yoga, and we're all so grateful that someone is taking care of these teachings so that they can be shared and people can transform and feel happier, healthier, more conscious. And they can have this idea of global inhibition in the brain, turning off some of those switches 
and have global gene expression where where things are kind of coming together and lining up with your genes after doing yoga. I'm just really, really excited to go and research many of the things that Manjunath talked about today that I hadn't heard about previously. So thank you, Dr. Manjunath Nandi Krishnamurti, and everybody out there, have a great day. Go ahead and go to the Facebook page for the podcast, Yoga Therapy Hour Facebook page, and have some discussions about some of the things that we learned about today. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.